in a world where we're not supposed to talk about our rough times in life, ah, welcome to the air show. Now, in today's episode, we actually have a very, very, very special guest with us, and his name is Forrest Lang. Now, if you want to kind of look him up, he is over there on Instagram, and he goes by the IG handle Angel Blue Book. He's actually an author, and he's in the process of getting his book published. But his book is more of a documentary of his life. And I've had the privilege of reading it, and we talk a little bit about it in this episode. Now, with that being said, I'm going to go on ahead and let Forrest introduce himself and tell him a little bit about his story. So let's go on ahead and get started with the show. My, my mother was a now, sex Now, Forrest, worker. I want to thank you again for coming and, on the uh, show. She and got I am sober and joined a church when I was about four years old. She married my stepdad. So that being said, um, hope that guy hit me so hard. I, one I got a permanent have a back injury. Day and remember, I sucked it up and made it into the military anyways. But, uh, I got molested by my older brother. Uh, he was three years older than me, um, you know, and, and sexually assaulted me from age four to about nine. Uh, and then I got taken away by Child Protective Services when I was 12. I entered into the California foster care system, ended up in a home with a dope dealer pedophile. She sexually assaulted me till I was 16. She tried to kill me in a murder-suicide. I was homeless till I joined the Navy. I learned how to brush my teeth in the Navy. I was born again there. And, uh, you know, I still, I still struggle with like addiction. I was getting sober and poor judgment. And I made a, a, a bad decision and I had an accident uh, when I was 23 years old. Um, I had a negligent discharge and I accidentally shot and killed my best friend. I got charged with murder. I was acquitted in a jury trial. I was homeless again. I went back into the Navy hoping that I could give my life in combat in Iraq to redeem myself and, and regain my honor um, and, and die, you know, um, and I lived. And I learned how to tattoo there and I came home and my daughter was born and I started having, you know, the, what, what my country did was incredible what they did for us. Uh, when we came home, people started creating programs. They started making therapy available. They had um, projects, like all these different organ small organizations put together all, all this um, really wonderful stuff, right? where, um, you know, do like adventure training and have a, have a shrink and a, four different shrinks and some two week getaway thing and whatever. And so I started to really learn um, about psych about human psychology, right? And, mm -hmm. and also I'm a tattooer, so I see different people. It's like being a bartender, you know, like an amateur psychologist, professional tattooer, right? And I learned about the subconscious mind and the, the, what drives us, right? What, what, when we drive to work and we don't know how we got there, that was our subconscious that took us there. And the crazy thing is that the subconscious mind is very heavily programmed by the time we're eight years old. I think it's something like 90% of the voice in our head, the voice that tells us what we're worthy of, what kind of job we'll have, who we'll marry, um, what kind of, you know, what, what we like to do, what we believe about ourselves, what we believe we're capable of. And I also learned that, that can be reprogrammed, right? Just through speaking out loud. Like I talk out loud to myself in the shower in the morning and I say the opposite of whatever that shit voice says in my right. head. And so 
I built a pretty damn good life, man. And, and my daughter's 14 years old. She's, uh, she's an honor student. She wants to be an orthopedic surgeon when she grows up. Um, I, I live in a great neighborhood. I have a great career. Um, and so I just wanted to share and I wrote a whole book. I spent the last two years writing a fucking book about my life and about everything that I learned. And, uh, you know, was, wasn't easy and it's still not easy. It's not easy to, uh, talk to people when they talk about book sales and I'm talking about fucking souls, you know what I mean? And like, uh, getting cracked on for using papyrus or like not knowing something about a computer or whatever, you know, but, um, I got inspired to write because I can generally typically win the confidence of another, you know, person coming into AA or coming into the Sparta group in, in like a few minutes, just talking to them about my own experience. And I wanted to share more with more people, you know? So that, that's what I'm about, man. My, my book's called Angel Blue. I'm working on getting it published through uh, one of the big publishers. And that's what my focus and my energy is all in. And that was really long. I'm sorry. I usually try to be shorter about that, but there's just a lot to say. Oh, no. And it's, it's like, even with, I mean, you kind of gave us like a, a really, 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 really rough summary of your life story. And I've only gotten to read just a, just a small portion of the book. And I mean, it's, it's catchy. Well, thanks. Like it's, just even like right from the beginning it just it's extremely catchy and on a personal level like i'm looking forward to the book like actually getting published where people can actually buy it thanks man um and it's like i know like right now you're working on the website for the book and and that type of ordeal which and you and i we, we were talking the other day and to you it's it's not about the money no it's not. Um, elaborate more on that. Well, I, I already make enough money, man. I mean, I'm, I'm a successful tattooer. I don't, I have everything I need. My intention of writing that book was, was not, and I don't think people write books to get famous and make money anyways, because I don't make a lot of money off books. Um, but, you know, I, 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 when I talk to people in that industry, it reminds me of the small, like the few times I went to Hollywood where kind of like everyone was full of shit and everyone's trying to get over on you. And it's just the nature of an industry like that, right? And I don't, I'm not gonna shit on an industry that I'm asking to help me, but it feels weird. It feels weird when they go, okay, cool. How are you gonna sell this? I'm like, why is that, dude, like, why are we not worried about how many people we can get it to and the money comes secondary, right? Like I'm not afraid to make money off of a book, but that's not my intention. Like if I wanted to make money, if that was all I wanted to do, I would do something else. You know, I would be a lawyer or something, you know? Right. Well, to me, like but, even with the, uh, the big publishers and that kind of idea, what I see what they're looking at, they're looking at, well, how much money can I make? off of totally. like off of your book like and that's and, and that's I, all they're looking at they don't from my personal experience whenever it comes to bigger businesses they don't give a shit about your message they they don't care about you know trying to help other people they just care about the bottom dollar they care about how many instagram followers i have right. now which is a really odd thing for a 43 year old guy i don't know how old you guys are but Instagram wasn't even a thought in my mind 10 years ago. You know what I mean? I don't know. 
I've only had mine for like three years. It's the world that we lived in, right? I didn't forget about Instagram four months ago, and I'm figuring it out. and, And the reason I want to go, when I walk into a bookstore, and I know people probably don't walk into bookstores much anymore, Um, But if I go on Kindle and I'm looking for a book to read, the first thing I do is I look and I see, you know, like the cover, what the cover looks like. Mm -hmm. And then I flip it over and I see who published it because I'm a reader. I like to read. And if it's not one of the, if if it's not Penguin, Random House, Macmillan, Schiffer, one of those, I won't even flip the jacket open to open to, to read it, especially not some kind of like, memoir or something because there's so many people out there they're full of shit yeah right there, there was that guy that wrote the bajillion pieces story and he was on oprah and he wrote about addiction or something he was full of shit he was a liar right i'm not going to read that guy's book so i i want the credibility of a big publisher that's not going to publish me if they don't believe me so they're going to check you know what i mean so that that's why i want to go that particular route mm-hmm. and i don't really like to think about plan b because if I, in, in the words of the great Arnold Schwarzenegger, if any, any energy I put into plan B is energy taken away from plan A. So I have the very real possibility of failure underneath of me and it motivates me right. to do what I'm doing, you know? Well, that's, you know, speaking of like plan B's and that kind of ordeal, like, dude, with this being your plan A, don't ever stop. <laughs> I'm not gonna. Yeah, don't don't ever stop. And plus, like I, with what like with what I know about you, like you're you're out there to help others. You're out there to to really help people. I'm losing the word for it. To, Just to heal inspire, themselves, bro. Like, I, if if somebody tells me, "Hey, Forrest, you know." if you do this program, you're going to get this and this. I'll be like, you get the fuck out of my face. There's a billion people shouting that if I do this diet or this thing or whatever. But if my friend comes up to me and he goes, Hey bro, I uh, bought this motorcycle and it's really badass, And I really like riding this Dyna. I'll be like, dude, maybe I'm going to buy one too. You know what I mean? Right. Like, or, Hey, I, I went and I did this meditation on the beach and I feel fucking good. I'll be like, Oh, cool. And they're not telling me to do it. I'm not telling anybody what to do. And what I did me talking back to myself in the shower in the morning or having a list of every goal that I have in my life, folded up in my wallet or meditating 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the evening or getting honest or getting clean and sober. That might not work for you. I don't know what the fuck's going to work for you. All I'm doing is sharing how I got from A to B, how I got from 105 pounds, 17 years old, homeless on the streets of Oxnard with not a fucking hope in the world to now I live in La Jolla. I drive a nice Jeep and I ride a Harley and I'm a tattooer and I'm a good dad. And I don't, I don't have, like, I don't owe any money. I can go where I want to go. I feel a strong sense of purpose in my life. I feel a strong sense of family. You know what I mean? Like how I got from there to is all I'm sharing. And it's just one guy's perspective, but I don't see any other conversations around recovery from sexual assault. I mean, there's 68 million of us that we know of. 
that we know of. And I'm not surprised anymore. I've been like a fucking got molested priest or something, right? Like, and I don't mean that as not like a weird priest, but what I mean is like, I had a guy come in that I've known for 20 years. I was tattooing and he saw one of my videos. <laughs> and this guy's older than me and I respect him a lot. Mm -hmm. And he came in and he said, hey, Forrest, I just came in to tell you that I got molested when I was a kid and you and that guy that you're tattooing are the only other people in the world that know. And he turned around and walked out. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's that like a walk crazy. Around. We're walking around like the emperor's new clothes and shit, right? Where nobody wants to talk about that because they're probably the only one to be weird or whatever. There is a staggering, a staggering amount of people who I don't know what the fuck happened. If this is something that's been happening for a long time or if it was just our parents' generation or what. There's a ridiculous amount of people walking around with that wound, right? And that wound affects every area of our life. So how do we get better, right? How do we recover? I, I don't I don't want somebody to play fucking sad songs for me and, and no. oh, feel sorry for Forrest because it's bad shit. Fuck that. That's boring and lame, dude. Like, I'm not a, you know, I'm, I'm a victor, dude. I'm a fucking right. warrior, I'm a survivor, you know? And like, I, my shrink said something really cool to me. I got this, this shrink at the VA. I take meds too, you know what I mean? Like, I do it all. Like, if there's some... I'm going to try some new therapy too. Like I'm always like growing, growing, getting more tools and, and moving my spirit. And, you know, right. like I, I, I have a good life and I want to continue it. I don't rest on my laurels, but my, my shrink, he actually calls me brother. And we talk on the phone. He's really cool. Old school psychiatrist. Huh. And uh, he said, Forrest, you know, he goes, I've been working in the VA hospital for a long time for, for fucking 30 years. And he goes, and I see a lot of people around here who are, who are miserable and they've earned the right. And he gave me one of the best compliments I've ever gotten. He says, you have by far absolutely earned the right to be a miserable victim, but you don't exercise that right. And I admire that. And I want more people to have that experience, you know? So what's your recommendation for people to try to get that type of mindset? Well, uh, how long do you have? <laughs> a, a good therapist start, man. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's, it's, it's weird that we should even have a conversation around the stigma of going to therapy that that would make you crazy. Right. Like, yeah, I know. And that's, and that's kind of, especially with being men. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and I used to like me. I used to have that same exact thought process and that same I, exact like the same I exact hate thing. The word therapist. It sounds so weak. Yeah, like therapy. You know what I mean? Like that sounds lame. That's why I call him a shrink because it doesn't sound like some like douchey thing to do. You know, <laughs> like I think I work on my shit. You know, right? Uh, and it's and it's like with me, like I. I was kind of like, like I was, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say it, like I was against therapy. I was against going to a counselor, shrinking that kind of ordeal up until one thing essentially happened. And it was my wife and I, we were on the, the spritz of splitting up. Now, mind you, we have, we have two boys now, but at the time we had one boy and she was pregnant with our 
with our second son. I mean, third pregnancy, but second, yeah, second child. But yeah. Um, but we were on the brink of separating, like getting a divorce, the whole nine yards. And a lot of it had to do with communication, communication, mm-hmm. compromise. And yeah. Well, there- me, like I was the type, I let my wife pick the counselor. Like we, we went, we saw a counselor yeah. and she, she wanted to see a female counselor. Mm-hmm. And you know, with me being a man and me being, a, you know, it's just, seeing a female counselor like what's like like even with with all of y'all with all of you by the way we had the three brothers on the show too um they're mm-hmm. just kind of quiet um but with having a female marriage counselor what's typically like now you have to you have already have experience with counselors and that kind of ordeal um uh, but with it being a female yeah, who decided they're gonna take yeah of yeah. course typically like you would automatically think, oh no, they're going to take the female side, that kind of ordeal. In all reality, it was the complete opposite. Mm -hmm. Our marriage counselor, even though she was a female, she didn't necessarily take my side and she didn't necessarily take my wife's side. Yeah. She called us both out on our shit. And in all reality, that's what we needed. Well, I'm glad you had that experience but sometimes there's a shitty one too. You know what I mean? Like I, I've been in, I've been going to AA for, for 23 years, man. I've been sober for 19, right? I don't go a lot anymore, but I've been in some really fucking terrible AA meetings. You know what I mean? I've also been in some really good AA meetings. I've had terrible therapists or shrinks and I've had really good ones, you know, like so when something's new and foreign, sometimes we have a tendency to judge, every single interaction we might possibly have with anybody like that based on the just one, you know, and I'm, I'm happy that yours was good. They're not always good. Yeah. I mean, we, I mean, so this is kind of a backstory with the counselor that we saw. She was actually the marriage counselor to a friend of hers. Now, mind you, the friend of hers, actually, she ended up getting divorced. From, from her husband, and now she's already remarried. But that's, yeah, it's completely different. But her friend basically recommended this counselor because she said she was really good, she was not biased, and she would call call us out on her shit. And she was very blunt. You, you want to know the biggest thing that helped me? The biggest thing that helped me recover from psychological or spiritual trauma and it's really simple and kind of almost dumb that this helped. But the, the process of initiation, I went through a, a project called Save a Warrior. Mm-hmm. And what they did is kind of reinvent the wheel. They took an old technology that human beings used to just do in our natural state before we were civilized, right? So the natives, the Native Americans are our, our closest uh, human relative to pre-civilization right right so an initiatory process turns boys into men it's held in the requirements are it's held in the ground that's considered sacred or important it's guided by elders or people considered to be of elder wisdom 
It's held in a closed container, meaning the participants only see each other or the leaders. The participant faces their own death and the participant is given an object, a transitional object, right? So for back in the day, it might've been they knocked a tooth out or gave them a tattoo or gave them a warrior robe or a sword or whatever. Um, for us, it was just a rock, you know, just a transitional object. And it sounds like almost ludicrous that something like that could have the impact it did on me. But man, me and the about 400 other guys that I know that went through that project, it gave them an incredible, incredible, like, feeling of being com complete, right? Like, there was just something missing my whole life, and now I'm complete. There's a group called the Mankind Project that does that for civilians. But that was a thing that helped me. It, it just made all the difference in the world for me. That's phenomenal. That is phenomenal. Um, so for civilians, what did you say the uh, company was again? It's called the Mankind Project. Okay. And they so, do, I, I don't know if it's so, super hippy-dippy or not or whatever, you know, and I, and I can't advocate for that because I didn't go, you know what I mean? Right. But I know that Warrior came out of that. Right, okay. So that one's uh, Wounded Warrior? No, Save a Warrior. Oh, Save a Warrior. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Wounded Warrior. That's yeah, that's a complete. Yeah, yeah. Warrior is a, is a small nonprofit for for vets and first responders. You actually qualify to go, Andy. Uh, hmm. it, it, it's like cops, uh, military, and, and vets. Um, you know, ambulance drivers, people like that. Right. Uh, and then there's there's other ones, the Sparta Project. Um, there's like eight or twelve different ones that are sprouting up because I I think. You know, nonprofits have the tendency to, to do better work when they're small, you know, and these guys kind of got it, got that figured out. Yeah, actually, I, I, I agree. I, I think it's better to have, you know, 35 different organizations kind of doing the same thing than one doing the work of 35, you know, right. with a CEO making 600 grand a year and all that crap. Right. And also, like, I feel like with the organizations, with them being small, you have like that more of a one on one type type feel to it it's more yeah. of a family type atmosphere and that's one Absolutely. thing that that i like on a personal level that i feel like whenever it comes to just in all reality any really big organization a lot of them tend to lose that family touch yeah well it's, it's tough with the pet organizations man because you get a bunch of killers in a room together eventually they're going to turn on each other man so very you true. know it's very it's true you know, people come and go out of them. We get burnout and all that stuff. And it's all good. I, I volunteered for about four years with two different organizations and I kind of burned out for a while. So that, that's also normal, you know? Right. I, I don't think that type of volunteer work is meant to, to be done by one person forever. You pass the torch. Right. And I agree. But it just, wow. But I know I also haven't said this yet. I do appreciate your service too. Oh, thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you for your support. I appreciate your service too. Huh, well. <sighs> yeah, we're not getting to a compare match. <laughs> <laughs> you actually, well, uh, you actually pointed guns at people. Me, I babysitter people. Pick up. Well, I pointed a medical bat at Marines. So <laughs> yeah. I pointed at them and gave them their immunizations and 
made sure that, you know, their feet were good on patrol. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, man, um, I, just, I just babysitting you know, people. <laughs> there, there is like, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate, you know, the, the national tone of, of respect for our vets, but I also, um, to my, to my, if there are any veterans listening, um, or people around or whatever, um, that is not the only way to serve, right? Um, and, and some people uh, get out of the service and they did their time and kind of just rest up on that and want everybody to thank them for their service and uh, have a, this sense of, of entitlement, right? And, and really, like, really you serve, that's great, but what are you doing now? right don't don't let your military service be the best thing you ever did with your life you know what i'm saying you live in the old football days or like whatever don't get stuck there because you're still capable of doing great things you know i i ran into a guy in the va hospital and he was he was older he was in his 70s and uh he had a had a marine hat on i was like hey double how you doing and he's like oh yeah he goes what What'd you do, man? I was like, oh, I was a corpsman. He goes, oh, you, did you deploy? I go, yeah. Uh, and, and he goes, where to? I go, Iraq, whatever. And he goes, thanks, Doc. Good job, Mo. What about you, man? And he goes, I am a machine gunner. And so this dude probably hasn't been a machine gunner in 40 years. You know, he doesn't have a machine gun. He's no longer in or but he's stuck there you know, because it was such an epic, wonderful experience to have that experience of combat and camaraderie and all that stuff. But there's still more to do, mm -hmm. you know? Oh, I don't, oh definitely. I, like, even, even like, um, like with, like with what you're doing specifically, it's like, you could have stayed back in your military days, but I mean, dude, look at everything you're doing now. It's like, you took it and you built on top of what, what you did during well, the time other of service. Stuff. You know, I learned the five pillars of servant leadership from a guy named Jake Clark, a veteran, you know? Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I practiced that, you know, Be, being a service, studying, always reading something, the act of contribution, um, contributing like material money to some organization that I, um, that I believe in um, right. prayer, right? Um, for me, prayer is declaration. I just say things out loud. It's the same thing as praying um, and meditation. You know what I mean? And right. taking my body, five pillars of self-care. That's all. I didn't make any of this shit up. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. I, I came up with nothing on my own. I just learned how to all this stuff from these great people, and I just compiled it all into one place. You know, to share in like English. Because I still talk to people about shit, and, and they're, I'm like, dude, will you repeat that, like, in English so I can understand, like, in, in my language, the ninth grade dropout language that all of us understand, not you elite people, you know? Right. Um, so I, I just, I shared, and I do share how I could understand, you know what I mean? And, and that makes it so other people can understand. Because like, even, dude, like, in, in the Sparta meeting, like we'll sit and read this literature and like, does anybody know what altruism means? And we don't, none of us know. So we like, look at it. you know what I mean? Like, well, that's the so thing. Cool. Like, 
like so many people get hung up on these big fancy schmancy words and I'm like can y'all dumb that down for me a little bit well it's great that they know that I'm proud of people that <laughs> went to college and got a you know literature literature degree or like or they they're very literate and their their grammar's right I'm happy for them but that's not me you know and and oh, we're, 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 you know so I I just want what I have what was given to me so freely to be as accessible as possible to everybody else you know especially people who got hurt when they were kids yeah you know because that, that that's just not your fucking fault it's not your fault you know no, it's you not. Had no no matter what no matter what action you took or who you said you wanted to go live with or who whatever whatever you let someone do that's just not your fucking fault when you're a kid and some of us were still walking around like grown-ups still thinking you know for me it was watching my daughter grow up and like oh my god i was only that old when that happened like she's not responsible for fucking anything you know what i mean and uh you know there i it's it's frustrating to me that there's still that stigma there's still people that are so afraid to even talk about the problem right like the problem of, of child abuse, what happens, what happened to us, what happened to us generationally, and we want to put it away and just kind of not think about it and ignore it, but that shit's driving everything we fucking do, you know? Oh, I know. Like, but see, and then you have, but then you have some people that not only, you know, that that stuff was done to them, but then now they're starting to do the same exact shit to their kids. Some of it, yeah. Like I've, yeah. I've, like I've been hearing stories, and in fact, on uh, on next week's next week's episode, we're going to be talking to a guy that literally that's what's happening to his kids, his yeah. ex girlfriend, wife, whatever the hell she is. Like she was abused whenever she was a child, and yeah. So I'm, I'm not going to talk talk more about his case. Y'all got to stay yeah. tuned for next week's episode on that one. Um, it's that one's going to be a good one, and which um, hopefully Forrest, you'll you'll end up joining us for that one as well. Yeah, man. Hopefully my internet won't be all fucked <laughs> off. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad your internet came back, dude. I could tell because the TV started playing in the living room. I was like, oh, cool. All Maybe right. I can get <laughs> back on the thing. Yeah, like me. So on a personal level, like I really don't have time to watch TV anymore. <laughs> Like I'm either doing like stuff it. online or I'm playing with my kids or like I'm always busy. <laughs> the voices in my head are so loud, man, that like while I'm drawing and doing my thing, I like to have something on. <laughs> ah, okay, so it's background. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's kind of like me when I'm driving. I uh, I like to listen to good motivational type music. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna name artists or anything along those lines. But I like to live, listen to really Britney good. Spears? <laughs> so what? So was it Britney Spears? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm not gonna name. Ace and Ace. <laughs> Better watch out. It might be toxic. <laughs> I, I like. To, I, I I am kind of a dick. I do embarrass my kids sometimes. I'll blast some fucking music when I drop her off in front of her friends. <laughs> Uh, he's probably listening to either Sabaton or Two Steps from Hell for epic battle music when he's driving. Nice. Uh, actually, I listened to uh, 
Oh, I'm about to give it away. I listen to uh, Jelly Roll and I also listen to Upchurch. Nice. I've been digging Apocalyptica lately. Ah. They do that. They do like Metallica songs, but they yep. have the. Actually, that was my very first concert. Oh, nice, man. Yeah, they came to Tallahassee back in 1991. My parents was, say, uh, yeah. yep. It was in L.A., though. Huh. My, my foster mom took me. It's great. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, like I said, that, that was my very first concert. Went to Metallica back in 1991. Yeah, man. So use your illusion tour. Mm-hmm. Or no, it was uh, the Black the black album. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, because they played Inner Sandman, and yeah, yeah. Um, but of course, you know the people sitting right above us, you know, they're burning a doobie and that kind of ordeal. Yeah. Now, y'all got to remember, this is back in the nineties. That was big no-no. Dude, you want to know the best concert I ever went to in San Diego was uh, Chris Stapleton. Huh. I don't know if you know who that guy is. He's I know exactly who he is. Dude, everybody was sitting down. It was so chill. There were families there. These teenagers like got up and were standing in front of us, you know, in front of the seats. And one of the moms was like, "Hey, you can sit down." And then they <laughs> sat down. It was great, dude. Yes. <laughs> it was like a relaxing, enjoyable concert. It was incredible. Yeah, yeah Chris Stapleton. He has a set of lungs on him too. Yeah, that dude can sing, man. I like it. Like he definitely has a set of lungs on him. Yeah, so I I actually I listen to a variety of music. I listen to I listen to rock, I listen to metal, I listen to southern rock, I listen to rap, I listen to country, like I just I I listen to pretty much everything but opera. I have nothing against opera, it's just not my forte. I can't really wrap my head around the K pop yet. Have you guys heard of this stuff? K pop. Korean uh, pop. Yeah, I've heard of K pop, I've heard of J pop uh-huh. too. Yeah, my one of my oh, buddies, Psy, and his uh, video that. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, Psy and Gangnam Style. Yeah. Yeah. Pop and J Pop are probably my two favorite genres. No shit. That's awesome. Yeah, I haven't really understood it. You know, like I, it's kind of like seeing a brand new Toyota pickup truck, and I don't understand how it looks yet. So I don't know if I like it yet. Well, you know, if you I don't understand the language, like the majority of people in the United States uh, that listen to it, really, the only thing you're getting out of it is the beat. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, they have some singers there who can actually, you know, they're very talented singers that can actually carry a tune. You know, they don't yeah. have to use anything like auto-tune or anything like that. Hmm. I just miss bands with, like, you know, guitars and drums and solos. and Those are the days. You probably like Sabaton or Two Steps from Hell. Sabaton more than Two Steps from Hell. Two Steps from Hell is more epic instrumental type stuff. Gotcha. Well, I can say one of um one of my old classmates. He's actually a part of a. I don't know what you would call him. You'd either call him a rock and roll or southern rock, one of the two. Mm-hmm. But his most recent band was Stereoside. And he was really, like, that band was really, really, really good. Like, they had a couple of hits at center. They had um, So Long. And I forgot the third one. That was actually, like, I've, I've got the tune in my head. I just can't spit out the name of it. 
Apple pie, so long, all weight, little fill. Oh, little pill. Yeah, little pill is a good one. Gotcha. Hang on, I'm making a new playlist here. It's going to be called Bands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he also had another one called Blackfoot. Bands. But, um, yeah, him what, and what I. Was, what was so the other band you guys in? Uh, before, um, one of the gentlemen. Yeah, he was also in uh, Blackfoot. No, the 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 Oklahoma guy was saying uh, some bands I would like. Oh, uh, there's a group called Sabaton, S A B A T O N, and there's another group called uh, Two Steps from Hell. All right, oops, no, don't play it now. Add to playlist, bands. Yeah, I don't have to cut that out. <laughs> copyright issues from yeah. hell yeah i know that they'll come at you quick oh i know you even like a small rip nope can't do that oh. copyright yeah they they cut me off instagram for that yeah that's like the other night i was um i was playing a smoking section from a jelly roll um, on the way home, and of course, you know, I went, I went live. It was, it was one of those type ordeals. I, I pushed the live button before I, before I put it in drive. I'm like, you know what? That's a good song. I'm gonna go live. I'm not gonna look at my phone because I had a lot of thoughts that I just, I just wanted to get out. Like I didn't care who listened to it or anything along those lines. I just, I had a lot of thoughts I wanted to get out, and I got them out. You know, I think the best thing, you guys, from doing this part of the book process, uh, you know, getting on getting on Instagram, right, and doing the lives and all that kind of stuff. I made a friend. Um, with, I made friends with a girl. She's 18 years old, and she was struck by a car when she was six and uh, experienced a traumatic brain injury. And um, she has difficulty moving her body and talking and she lives in constant pain but her mind is completely intact and uh she she sent me a poem tonight you guys care if i read it to you yeah go ahead it's called if i stay my future seems brighter with every step more impactful every struggle i face i can't imagine who i'll meet who will help thrive and survive Bitch, I have dealt with more pain than you can comprehend. More pain leads to an enhanced knowledge, for I am grateful. I'll do my part to be part of the solution. I will continue to astound the medical community, for if I stay, it's not for myself. I stay for everyone else, for my supporters. I stay for the legend. I stay for the friends. I stay for the impact. I stay for the future fighters. This young lady is badass. Damn. And she was hit by a vehicle at six years old. Yes. Been in constant pain. Constant pain for 12, 12 years. years. 12 years. And can you imagine being a young person and not being able to speak like everybody else, not being able to move like everyone else, how cool children are, you know, just, I, I am completely blown away by her, but she's still here. Yeah. You know? 
that that takes a very very strong individual yeah because i mean kind of like i remember back in my high school days it's i mean i know you know we're talking 12 years ago but mm-hmm. no nah, it was longer than that 16 years ago oh wow don't man. date yourself too that's all right <laughs> wow man <laughs> 16 years ago whoa but wow man it's been a long time um but anyway like i still remember like back in high school of how mean and brutal girls were to each other oh and just they were they were nasty yeah it's like they had their own little cliques and they were just some of them were just outright just me i never wanted to go and you know beat up a 10 year old girl until until they treated my kid like that and i had the thought of like dude like, let me go beat up her dad too you know because <laughs> <laughs> it makes you wonder like where did they learn that type of behavior how could you say something like that and then you know my own kid too she said a lot of horrible shit to me and i i, I just i said baby you know someday you're going to develop this thing called empathy and you're not going to say those things anymore. And for now, I just love you anyways, you know? Yeah. But I mean, it just, it kind of, but even still, it still makes you think, like, where where did these kids learn that type of behavior? Yeah, I know some of it could be instinct, but it's like, I'm a firm mm-hmm. believer. Everything is pretty much taught. Even when it comes to attitudes and, the way that you talk, the way that you, essentially the way that you even do things, a lot of that is being taught one way or another, especially by leaders in the family. You know, whether you're raised by your parents or you're raised by grandparents or you're raised by long lost relative or if you're in the foster system, um, you're still being raised by someone. Yes and no. I, people are born with a personality they're born with a soul. They're born with their own set of, of things, right? So, but we are also taught things. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I think it's both. Uh, maybe half and half, you know? Um, but I think it's really good news. The best news that I've learned in my life is that we can change. We really can. We can reprogram our, our subconscious. We can change our life. We can take charge of our life. You know, regardless, regardless of yeah. the circumstance. I agree completely. Because I mean, like, let's just say, like let's let's look at you like with your life in in particular. Um, if you would have let everything in your life turn you into the way that it molded you, where would you be right now if you didn't recover from it? I'd be like my compatriots that are dead or in prison or addicted, you know? Yeah. And that's a hard I truth. Was, I was listening to an audio book a couple of days ago while I was doing some uh, physical exercise. And the per, and one of the things that people was asking about was what are one of the two What's the difference really between sadness and depression? 
And the answer is really withdrawal from wanting to see the, uh, from what, from inputs. Because some input, because some input inputs to your life hurt, you want to withdraw from all of them. Mm. And it just ends up in a feedback cycle. It's also a similar problem for what's, a di what's, for if you look at what's the distinction between somebody who's between somebody being nervous about a situation and anxiety similar type of th to similar type of thing people just start getting into the cycle where they're just going to start pulling out of everything trying to disconnect from stuff yeah and that's a you know major issue for folks I think a big cause of depression and anxiety is comfort too, man. Constantly seeking comfort. Wanting to be in the comfort zone, in the familiar all the time. You know, terrible for us. Yeah. In fact, I know a lady that I, that actually before all these different shows got started, she, she interviewed me and then, but then shortly after she interviewed me, she started talking about comfort zones. Mm. And I really didn't know what she meant until I really listened to that. Because I, I, I read the headline. I'm like, that's kind of interesting. I wonder what yeah. she's like, what does she mean by this? So then, of course, naturally, I listened to the episode. And she talked about the different zones. Like, she talked about the comfort zone and getting the hell out of it. Mm -hmm. because like whenever you're in that comfort zone, like you said, it's very easy to get depressed. It's very easy to get complacent and it's very easy to not move anywhere. But I don't think being out of it all the time, you know, like I like to come home to my house and lay down in my soft bed and, you know, pet my dog and <laughs> kiss my wife goodnight and tuck my daughter in. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I like all that stuff, but if I, that's all I do, I ain't doing nothing. Right. You know, it's like you're not getting out of your comfort zone and building. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's like, you know, I'm not saying that it's not okay to be in a comfort zone. Of course. I mean, that's, that's where you typically go to for Rest. relaxation. If, as long as that's what it's there for. Yeah. You just can't stay there. Like, well, you can't end up, you know, really overweight and suicidal you know <laughs> yeah that's, that's very true like a lot uh, of america you know? yeah and that, that's like even with me you know i i got very comfortable with a lot of different things i'm talking about mainly with my health mm -hmm. like i almost got to the point of like you know what i'm just going to accept it it is what it is i'm going to be overweight and yeah, there may be a possibility I may end up um, having sleep apnea down the road and I may end up having high blood pressure and high cholesterol and all this other shit. And I went and saw my doctor a couple of weeks back and she gave me the bare bad news. She's like, look, you either drop weight or you're going to have a heart attack. Like well, there, there is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. She's like, you either drop weight or you're going to have a damn heart attack. Mind, body, spirit are connected though, bro. You know, we don't, they, they're not separate, right? And what 
where you're at, you know what I mean? You're probably healthier than me, dude. You'd probably like, you know, if we were on the hike, you could probably make it further than me or like whatever. But I measure my progress against myself. Right. You know what I mean? Measured against other people. So, you know, obviously I'm not going to tell, I'm not qualified. I don't have the right letters behind my name to tell someone else what they should do for themselves. But I know for me, I, I get to be constantly improving myself. Yeah. And, and part of that is leaving that comfort zone, you know? Yep. Well, Forrest, I appreciate you coming on the show, and I'm looking forward to next week's conversation. Of course, we're going to elaborate even more because, like, even with, like, with Brad coming on the show, I do want to talk more on, like, solutions, especially whenever it comes to everything going on in – like whenever it comes to, you know, essentially kids getting abused and that type of ordeal. And like, we're, we're all well aware of it. Like, I mean, to me, that's like, Most we all know what happens. Yeah. But we have to figure out solutions on how to right. prevent it. Like, right. how do we make, like, what are solutions and how we can prevent the shit from even happening? My daughter has, place? my daughter has never been alone with another man ever in her life. And guess what? She never got molested. I mean, I'm sorry that that's the extreme that it took. Um, I identify as an attack helicopter dad, you know, uh, and I don't blame you. I, I'm sorry. That's how it is though. Right now. You know what I mean? Like don't leave your kids alone with people. No. And the thing is, like, even if people that you think you may or that you may trust, like, thoroughly. Yeah, man. Th they could end up being one of those pedos. And when then... There were a few times where I needed someone to take her somewhere, but I couldn't go. Back to her mama's. I always sent two. You know what yeah. I mean? Yep. Never alone. Yep. Dude, thank you guys so much. Yeah, dude. I appreciate you coming on the show, and I'm looking forward to our conversation next week. It was nice to meet you two brothers, too, man. Uh, no problem. It was nice to meet you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you guys uh, have a good night. All right, buddy. All right, you too. Later, have man. a good one.